Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. This week, I want to talk about uh, how there's this first ship of discipleship that begins in us. And I think you'll understand that more in just a minute. All I'm basically saying by that kind of fancy title is that discipleship begins in you. And you need to be aware of the fact that discipleship begins in you. One reason that's strategic for us to be aware of is that when we think about our culture today and our communities and our nation and things like that that we're living in, when, uh, when we look at stats like I gave out two weeks ago, here's a sample of a couple of the stats. 5.8 million people unreached in North Carolina. And I ask you if you were comfortable with that. And when we look at stats, like 68% of a three-mile radius that's defined up in Granite Falls is considered unreached. We, we can look at that and we can look at our culture and how people don't care to read the Bible and don't care to apply the Bible to their lives and they seem uh, greatly ignorant of what the Bible says in our culture today. And we can look at that and if we're not careful as believers, we'll get really frustrated with our culture. We get frustrated with people we work with, with our neighbors, da-da-da-da, because we see them not caring what God says and not applying it to their lives. Well, the reason I'm saying today is a really important topic for us is that instead of you and I just getting frustrated with our culture, we might need to own the situation a little bit. We, we may need to recognize that potentially that stat exists in North Carolina and that stat exists in Granite Falls and a lot of other stats that I gave you two weeks ago exist because we have failed to make disciples. Because churches have failed to focus on being the best disciples we can be as believers and we failed in turn to make disciples and produce disciples. So just maybe all the things we get frustrated about in our culture, maybe it's our fault. And we need to recognize that we're the ones that can start changing it if, if we'll allow that first ship of discipleship to really be something that's true and real in our lives. We live in a discipleship shipwrecked culture. Many of our churches are shipwrecked for lack of discipleship. And we need to answer the call as believers to be the best disciples we can be to understand this first ship, so to speak, of discipleship begins in us. And, and before you just kind of think, well, it's my life, you know, here's the deal with that. If you're really a believer in Christ and you're not interested in discipleship and you say, well, me not doing what the Bible tells me, that's just kind of like, uh, my life. You need to understand it's not just your life. Because when we shipwreck our own lives by lack of discipleship, we shipwreck our families, we shipwreck our communities, we shipwreck our churches, we shipwreck our state, we shipwreck our nation, we shipwreck our world. When believers are not being the believers, the disciples that we ought to be. So today I just want us to kindly look at some evident truths that maybe can help us become better disciples and help us be more prepared to disciple others. You might even view it this, since I talked about discipleship shipwreck, we need to put together a rescue mission for discipleship. 
and you and I decide to be the best disciples we can be, make commitments in that direction, and so we want to disciple others also, make a commitment for God to use our lives to disciple others. The first thing I want you to notice this morning is something that's really basic. But I, and I had planned on only dealing with it when I first put the message together. But I thought to myself, I can't jump through this hoop to get to the other stuff without first talking about this. The first ship of discipleship really requires this. It requires authentic faith in Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. If you don't really know Jesus yourself, you don't have a basis to disciple anybody else. You don't have a foundation to stand on to work out for them to disciple someone if you don't have authentic faith in Jesus. So if you're someone today that's unsure whether you really know Jesus or not, you need to listen up to this part of the message. And even if you think you know that you know Christ as Savior, you need to listen up to this part of the message because you will not be positioned to discipleship someone else unless you yourself know for sure that you know Christ as Savior. All I'm going to do is read through some scriptures and make some comments, not necessarily any points or anything with these. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you look at that text in the Greek, the little word thee that we read over so quickly in our English translations is a very important word in the Greek because what it means is this. Jesus is saying, I'm exclusively the way. He's not saying I'm one way of many. He's saying I'm the only way. He's saying that I'm the, the only truth. If you want to see the truth of God, it's wrapped up in the very life of Jesus walking around in human flesh. He said, I'm the life. He's the only way that we can have eternal life. He's the only way we can have the type of life God wants us to live now. And then to put it really, really clear, Jesus said this, there's not anyone that can make it to the Father except through me. Our culture doesn't like that. Our culture wants to have this multiplicity of different ways to get to God. I'll be completely honest with everyone. Everyone's going to get before God one day, but the only way you want to get there is having trusted Christ as your Savior. Everybody's going to stand at the judgment seat, one type or another, but the only way you would want to be there before God is to have trusted Christ as Savior. He makes it abundantly clear again, the Bible does, in Acts chapter 4. It says this, there's salvation in no one else, talking about Jesus. Once again, our culture wants to say, as long as you're sincere and you believe this person or you believe in this religious leader or you believe in this religion over here, that, that you'll be okay. The Bible says there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not maybe, not like there's some other option, but the only choice is through him. Let's keep reading some verses about salvation. He said to them, and this is a Mark's version of the, of the Great Commission, more or less, that we all know in Matthew. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, stop right there for a minute, and I'll finish reading the rest of that passage in a second. But since Jesus said to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, what is the gospel message? And this is pretty strategic because some people will say the gospel is Jesus died on the cross and he took his life back up. You see, that's not good news. It might be good news for Jesus that he took his life back up after he died on the cross, but it's not good news for me. And it's not good news for you. The gospel is this. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died. Here's the good news, guys. For our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, just like the Bible said he would, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the good news. Jesus didn't just die. He died for all my sins. We're all screwed up. We, we all are sinners and Jesus died for my sins. That's what makes it good news. That Jesus died for my sins and then they buried him and then he took his life back up to prove he had paid everything necessary for us to be, to be saved. Now, uh, they'll go to the next slide and I'll finish reading uh, verse 15 and 16. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. A lot of people trip over this, so let me, let me add some clarity there. Baptism, water baptism, does not save anyone. Do you understand that? But you read that text and it kind of sounds like it does. Here's really, I think, what Jesus is meaning by that. He said, whoever believes and is baptized, we believe in Jesus by faith. He becomes our savior. The first thing he tells us to do is to be baptized. So if you really have made Jesus your Lord, the first thing you ought to do is be what? Baptized. It doesn't save you, but it shows that you have committed your life to Christ and you're doing what Jesus tells you to do. Now, to show that, salva- that baptism doesn't have anything to do with your salvation, he goes on and says, but whoever does not believe, he doesn't say who does not believe and is not baptized. He said, whoever does not believe will be condemned. You're condemned, not because you were baptized, but because you not, have not believed in Christ. Let's keep reading. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, and you've heard me use this passage a lot over the years. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. In other words, you can't be made righteous by obeying the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who do what? Believe. For there's no distinction. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, by his unmerited favor as a gift. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. If you could, it wouldn't be a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, what he shed, shed on the cross, to be received how? To be received by faith. Salvation is based upon faith. One, one last verse or two verses. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. If you're someone that's thinking, well, you won't go to heaven because you can't give up your cigarettes. I'm sorry. You're not going to miss heaven because of cigarettes or because of anything else. I just threw that out. I mean, for overeating, for, you know, drinking, whatever the case might be. I'm just throwing that out. The only reason anyone misses heaven is because they failed to believe in Jesus. And I felt compelled that we needed to go through that as I get ready to talk to you more about how we can be better disciples and be more prepared to disciple others. Because if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't have a foundation to be a disciple. You don't have a foundation to trying to disciple someone else. So let's move on and really talk about the other stuff that I wanted to talk about this morning. The first ship of discipleship also requires knowing the words of Christ. The first ship of discipleship requires knowing the words of Christ. The first ship of discipleship begins in us. 
in us through putting in us the words of Christ. Now, will you stop and think about how logical that is? How can I disciple someone else with the words of Jesus if I don't know the words of Jesus? If I don't take this and put it in here and in here and apply it in my life, we're going to talk a lot about application near the end of the message. But but if I don't know the words of Jesus, how in the world can I assume that I can teach the words of Jesus to somebody else? God spoke down from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration and told three of the disciples this. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now I want you to catch these last three words. Listen to him. Listen to him. If we're going to be a disciple, we have to listen to him. And that will help equip us to be the kind of disciple that can help disciple other people. And that's what God calls us to, guys. Well, that's what we talked about two weeks ago. The Great Commission says go and make what? Disciples. It didn't say go drag somebody to church and make them sit in a pew or in a seat beside of you. It didn't say make a church member. It didn't say to make a convert. It is said to go and make disciples. So that's an expectation that God has on all of our lives for us to be disciples and to go and make disciples uh, ourselves. But the first ship of that discipleship requires us knowing the words of Christ. Jesus said this to some Jews that believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is very important for us as believers to know the word of God. It's very important for us to spend time in prayer. It's important for us to spend time reading the word of God. It, to, to kind of demonstrate it, since we're talking about ships and shipwrecks and everything else, the, the Bible ought to be something for us. Like we're, we're thirsty people. We're, we're, we're just about to thirst to death. And we understand this is what we need. And we drink the life-giving word from the Bible. We take it into our lives and begin to apply it to our lives. And as we drink in the scriptures, that life-giving water from the scriptures, this living fountain from the Bible, it helps to make us the disciples that we need to be and equip us to where we can disciple others. Jesus said, hold to my teaching. So think about it in, in this way, since we're talking about a shipwreck again and uh, the way all of our culture is shipwrecked when it comes to discipleship, think about this as a lifeline. The world around you, I hope you already know this, the world we live in is trying to drown us in culture. You recognize that? It is trying to swallow us up and drown us and pull us down in culture. We need to consider the word of God like a lifeline. God is throwing out the lifeline to us. We need to grab hold of that lifeline and use this lifeline to help us to where we don't drown in the culture of the world around us. We need to hold to the word of God. And as we do so, holding to this teaching of Jesus, knowing the truth, he said, the truth will set us free. That's why it's so important for us to know the truth. How many of you still wrestle with guilt in your life sometimes, even as a believer? Both hands, feet. Some of you, well, the roses are close together. You get your feet up there, I'm going to be impressed too. See, knowing the truth, the truth sets you free. Think about God's word, God's truth as a pathway to get us out of the prison of our guilt. 
As I know the truth of God, and I know what the Bible says about forgiveness, and I know what the Bible says Jesus did for me, and I, and I know about the grace of God, and I become more and more aware of that, knowing the truth of God's Word sets me free from the prison of my guilt. But see, it's not just enough for me to be set free from the prison of my guilt. Set free people need to set other people free. If you've been set free by the Word of God, set free from your guilt by God's grace and God's forgiveness, Set free people should set other people free. That's what God calls us to do. It's not enough for you just to say, oh man, I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven. One day. No, God wants to use your life to be the best disciple you can be of Jesus so you can in turn disciple other people. Third thing I want you to see today about being a better disciple that will help position us to disciple others is this. The first ship of discipleship Requires love in Christ and each other. Requires love in Christ. If we're going to be the best disciple we can be, it's going to require love in Christ and love in others. The first step, step of the first ship of discipleship uh, begins in us with the way we love Christ and the way we love each other. Now I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, kind of put your seatbelt on for a minute, depending on what you believe about the. Bible and the gospel and things like that, because there's some things from the Bible right here that's going to fly in the face of our Americanized Christianity, our our culture that we have today that we're going to read. I want you to look at this statement, this next statement. We are to love Christ more than family. Now that sounds tough, but I'm going to read the scripture in a minute. Guys, that is tough. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my extended family. Uh, you know, uh, Jessica's sick today. Matt's here, making him feel good. I even love my son-in-law. You know, and uh, and all. Uh, but as much as I love them, they didn't do for me what Jesus did. You get the point. We're to love Christ more than our family, more than our own lives, and more than our possessions. Is that the message you get out of most messages you hear on TV? Or maybe even sometimes at church or whatever? Is that the message you're getting? I mean, it almost sounds like we've got God in our box and we can shake God around a little bit and get him to do for us what we want him to do. And that's what life is about. But look what Jesus said here. Now, great crowds accompanied him and he turned... And said to them, see, he's giving them a wake-up call. He wants them to understand really what following him is about, what discipleship is about. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, notice what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't say he might not be able to be my disciple. Jesus said he cannot be my disciple. What's the tender lamb of God saying? Is he trying to be unkind and trying to say that we're supposed to, you know, just hate all of our family? That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, comparatively speaking, this, you need to love me more than anything. 
You, you need to put me first before anything. He goes on and said, who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, you, you put down your life and you live the life that he wants you to live. You take his life upon you. You crucify your desires. You crucify your goals and you take his goals upon you. And then jumping down to verse 33, he says, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, talking about the possessions that we love so much, He cannot be my disciple. Jesus didn't say maybe. He he said cannot several times through that text. See, here's our problem today. We've been lulled to sleep with a social country club type of Christianity in our churches. Guys, even we have. And there are tons of churches that have been like that for a long time. They never pull out of it. Going to church is their social club. It's their country club. They want to go see each other hang out, but they're not really going to take the Bible and apply it to their lives. And we've been lulled into that in America. We've allowed being a disciple of Christ to decline to the point of, man, I showed up at church. At least once this month. (laughs) Or I show up at church all the time, so I must be a disciple. We've allowed the picture of discipleship to kind of be something like this. We get up on Sunday, we put on our discipleship clothes. You notice I did a little bit of that. I didn't wear jeans today, you know. I didn't put a suit on, but I dressed up a little bit for you. We put on our discipleship clothes. And we go on a search and destroy mission for where we left our Bible last week when we come home from church. Or where we left our Bible a month ago when we were at church and we have to go around our, our house and our shelves and our nightstands and, and everything looking for our Bible. And then we, we find it and we kind of dust it off a little bit and we put it under our arm and we go to church and we sit there and we think we're being a disciple of Christ. That, that's the Americanized picture that we ha- have accepted of being a disciple. But did you notice that's not what Jesus said? Jesus said, if we're going to be his disciple, we have to love Jesus more than family. We have to love Jesus more than our own lives, more than our own goals, more than our own intentions. He he said, if we don't do that, we cannot be his disciple. Jesus, by the way, let me set you at ease a little bit. He's not teaching salvation. He's teaching discipleship here. You understand the difference? He said, we can't be his disciple if we don't love him first and foremost. We have to love Jesus more than anything, we have to set aside our purposes for his purposes. We have to crucify our desires and goals to follow Christ. We, we have to love Jesus more than, than anything. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 37, real similar to what we just looked at. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's tough because I really love my children and I really love my family. But as I said a few minutes ago, much as I love Becky, she didn't die on the cross for me. Much as I love my children, they didn't die on the cross for me. That's why Jesus calls us to that type of love. In a lot of what he did for us, all of us who know Christ as Savior, we ought to have a desire to live worthy of him. To live worthy of what he has done for us on the cross. We need to love him more than anything. 
Not only do we need to love him, we need to love each other. Jesus gave a new and fresh command to his disciples that more or less he's saying by this command, this is how people know you're real. This is how people know you're authentic, that you really belong to me. He said a new commandment that could be translated a fresh commandment I give you. Once again, it's not a suggestion. You see the word commandment? Jesus is saying, this is something you must do. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now, we can get all giddy with that and everything probably and think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's cool. Yeah, I can, I can love other people like I love you and I love you and I love you and I love you. But you see, we make it easier than it is because we think of love in our own definition of love. Keep reading what Jesus said. That you love one another just, just, in other words, exactly the same. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Wow, that changes it a little bit, doesn't it? It's not in the realm of me kind of loving you the way the world says I ought to love you. No, it's Jesus saying that as believers, we're to love each other like he loved us. What did he do for us? He sacrificially died for us. <coughs> he, he walked around and he ministered to people. And he loved people. We're to love each other like that. <coughs> and here's why. He said, by this. What does he mean by this? He's not saying by the 10-pound Bible you stick under your arm. He's not saying by the suit that you wear. He's not saying by the way you cut your hair, if you have any. I'm looking around, see a couple of us look similar. I might should have scheduled somebody besides John Marler to come up. I can look around and see somebody with a shaved head and a beard like mine. I'm going to worry that person. They're going to think they're going to have to come on stage next time if I get sick. <clears throat> he didn't say by the suits that we wear. He didn't say by the absence of tattoos. He said that other people will know you're my disciple by the way that you love each other. So if we're going to be better disciples ourselves, look more like Jesus ourselves, and be more positioned to where we can help disciple other people, we have to love Jesus like we should, love God like we should, and then we have to love one another as Jesus Loved us, and that's how people can figure out if we're really real or not. Last thing, the last really important truth this morning, I think that can help us be better disciples ourselves, can help our church, if our church will practice these things, to be more of a disciple-making, disciple-reproducing church. Something that can help you and I be more positioned ourselves to disciple others is also this last truth. Yes, you have to know Christ. That's the first thing we talked about. Yes, you have to put God's word inside of you so you can give God's word to other people. And yes, we have to love God and we have to love each other if we're really going to be the kind of disciples that Jesus can use. But this might be the most important one this morning other than your salvation because you can't be a disciple without being saved. The first ship of discipleship... <clears throat> In other words, the beginning of discipleship, what discipleship really looks like. That's what I mean by all this first ship stuff today. As I warned you, don't try and say all these titles. I'm using this series really fast. You'll say something you didn't mean to say. The first ship of discipleship requires active 
obedience to Christ. Now, we live in a culture today, when you start talking about obedience, people throw their hands up, boy, you're being legalistic. I'll say more about that in a minute. Another way for me to say active obedience that maybe will help you hear it the right way, another way of referring to obedience is this, applying God's word to our lives. Some of you who go to the small group that Daryl leads on Sunday evening have been through something really similar to what I'm about to talk about. Some of you that go to Gene's group on Tuesday uh, night, you've been through a a similar study. You guys were doing an Andy Stanley study uh, that my group's doing now. We kind of reversed it around. Those two groups are doing the one that I've already done uh, this semester. But in the one that you finished that our group was in, as a matter of fact, our group covered some of this stuff last week. I told our group last week, it's kind of, uh, I think, not a coincidence that God is uh, putting all this together at the same time, even in our small group study. But in the, if you were in one of those small groups, you were studying ways to grow your faith. And one way to grow your faith, a very foundational, strategic way to grow your faith is you have to apply the Bible to your life. Jesus preached a really famous sermon that you hear people talk about called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that Sermon on the Mount, he said a whole bunch of stuff. More or less, what he was doing, he was taking the the standard viewpoint, the standard uh, viewpoint of what the Bible said in that day and time. He was taking that standard viewpoint... And then he was elevating and saying, but this is what God really says about it. And he did that through a whole bunch of different things in the Sermon on the Mount. One thing that he said on the Sermon on the Mount that a lot of people, probably a lot of guys especially, wish Jesus hadn't said. You know, he said, you've heard you shall not commit adultery. And everybody knew that. But then Jesus brought a new standard up. And he said, but I tell you, if you look upon a woman and you lust after, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Ouch. If you'll be honest, that's an ouch, amen? If you're going to sit there and be self-righteous and say you've never done that, you're lying to yourself. So a lot of people wish Jesus hadn't took that to a higher level, but that's what he did. Then after Jesus lays out all those principles and, and things in the Sermon on the Mount, he brings the sermon to a conclusion by telling this story. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, you see the application part? Well, be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And this storm came, the rain fell, the floods came, and, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We see Jesus is the rock, his word is the rock. Just hearing his word and applying his word gives us a foundation to live our lives upon so when the storms come, we can make it through because we have this foundation to stand upon with our lives. But Jesus goes on, and he says, And everyone who hears these words of mine, all you do is hear them, goes in one ear and out the other, or maybe you park it somewhere in your mind, you file it away in your theological time clock inside of your mind somewhere, your theological file cabinet where you've heard all these sermons and you've read all these uh, books and everything, you've got it filed away. He said, Everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not do them. In other words, doesn't obey and doesn't apply them. Will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. 
And the problem with that is when the storms come, when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, the one built on the sand, it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Now, to give you a little bit of cultural background to what happened in that day and time is that the scribes would do, regrettably, what happens a lot of times still yet in church sometimes. The scribes would get up and they'd lay this scroll out of the scriptures and they would stand up and they would read from it and maybe teach a little bit from it. They'd read from it, read from it, read from it, roll it back up, sit down and never ever help people apply it to their lives. See, that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is you reading it, you applying it to your life, and then you help someone else understand it where they can apply it to their life. You're not just giving them head knowledge. You're trying to give them a life skill as a Christian, as a believer, that gets them through the storms of life. That, that equips them from what, for whatever may come. And Jesus stood up. When he did the Sermon on the Mount and he taught them not like the scribes, not like someone that's just reading out the information and then setting down, Jesus gave them practical applications of what he was saying all through the Sermon on the Mount. And then he closes out the message by more or less saying this, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to listen to what I say and do it. It's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to, to, to listen to it. You see, Jesus clearly Clearly, clearly, all through the New Testament, he calls us to obey his words. He, he calls us to not only hear his words, but to apply his words. Jesus expects us to do what he says. Parking biblical information in our minds isn't enough. Memorizing all the scripture in the world isn't enough. Listening to thousands of sermons isn't enough. Reading the Bible frontwards, backwards, sideways, upside down, however you want to read the Bible isn't enough if you don't apply what you read to your life. Jesus expects us to do what he says. So we can have a firm foundation to build our lives upon. Being a disciple of Christ involves more than hearing. It involves doing. Now, let me be clear. You are not doing in order to be saved. Amen? You are saved through faith in the finished work of Jesus alone. That's what saves you. You ought to be doing, though, on the other side of your salvation to show how much you appreciate all that God has done for you. The topic here is not salvation. The topic Jesus is dealing with here is application. We need to realize our obedience to the words of Christ, our applying God's word to our lives. We need to understand it's an act of faith. Don't, don't listen to people that want to say, well, you start talking about obeying the Bible and doing what God says. That's legalism. No, that's not legalism. That's an act of faith. Think about it like this. If God tells me to do something, whether I like it or not, whether I understand it or not, and I make a decision and tell God, I'm going to do what you want me to do simply because you're the one that said it and simply because I'm going to do it because you love me so much, your son died on the cross for me, then we are doing what God tells us to do as an act of faith in him. You see, we're saved by our faith, but me obeying the scripture is an act of faith in him because I'm saying I believe in who he is and what he knows is best for my life more than I know about myself. So it's an act of faith for me to obey what Jesus says. Does that make sense? 
not for salvation, but in order that we might be the disciples that he wants us to be. We tell him we trust you enough to do what you say, even if we don't understand it or like it. We trust you enough and love you enough to do what you say. Let me give you an example of that. Story out of the book of Acts. There's this uh, disciple uh, in Damascus by the name of Ananias. I'll give you all the rest of the background. Most of you know the story already, hopefully. But the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Now, I just put that part of the story up because I want you to get the point. Ananias, here I am, God. I'm ready to do what you want me to do. That, That ought to be our attitude. Now, here's the rest of the story. And most of you know this. There's this guy by the name of Saul that was going around thinking he was doing God's work by persecuting the church. By arresting believers, taking them to prison, watching them be crucified, fed to lions, whatever they were doing with them. And uh, he's on the road to Damascus with these that he has arrested. And all of a sudden he meets Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by the light that is there. Jesus tells him, I want you to go to see this disciple by the name of Ananias. Then God also speaks to Ananias and, and say, uh, Ananias, there's a, something I want you to do. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Saul getting ready to come pay you a visit. Okay, Lord, I hear you, but uh, I don't know what to think about that guy because I've heard Saul's done this and he's done that and he's done this and he hates Christians and he's being sure they're arrested and he's, he's uh, being sure they're, they're put to death and things like that. God, I don't know what to think about that. And, and he was honest with God. That's the way he felt. But he did it anyway. See, that's the point I'm trying to make. Whether we like what God says to us, whether we think we agree with it's not the point. If God says it and we believe he's God and we believe he loved us enough to put his son on the cross, our response ought to be, here am I, God. I'm, I'm going to do it as an act of faith, what you want me to do. That's what discipleship looks like. That's why it's not enough just for us to get together and sing songs and, you know, hear a message or get together in a small group and read the Bible and, and things like that. We, we need to apply what the Bible says to our lives. Give you a couple of illustrations. What good is it to go to school and learn principles of mathematics and never use math? You're checking out. People are going to start figuring out, hey, they can't count the money. Guess what? You're going to get cheated a little bit. What good is it to try and learn math and not use it? What good is it to understand principles about a healthy lifestyle? You read up on it all the time, how to live a healthy lifestyle. And as you're reading your book about a healthy lifestyle, you've got a box of Krispy Kreme donuts over here you're shoving in your mouth. Well, good is it for us to order exercise equipment to have in our homes and then just use it to hang clothes on and stack stuff on. What, what, what benefit do we get out of those things? Here, here's the point that I'm making. You know where I'm going with it. What good is it for us to know what Jesus says and not do anything with it? What benefit <coughs> is it to know what Jesus says <coughs> if we never, ever apply what Jesus says to our life? Because that's what discipleship is, applying it to our life, helping other people apply it to their life. I'm going to read a few verses and we're about done. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they do what? What does it say? They follow me. 
Amazing radical thing there. Whoever does not take up a cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Once again, he says, follow me. Next slide. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. He doesn't say, well, you know, if you kind of want to. He says, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, a disciple is not greater than his teacher. But everyone, when we're fully trained, when we're fully trained, will be like his teacher. You see, that's our goal in discipleship. We're to be fully trained. We're to understand what God says. We're to understand the teachings of Jesus. We're to understand what Jesus says it takes to be a disciple. We're to apply that to our lives and apply it to our lives. And guess what happens? We begin to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. That's what discipleship's about. That's why we need to do all we can to be the best disciples we can be. Because we need to look more and more like Jesus and we need to be able to lead other people to look more and more like Jesus. The first ship or the first step of discipleship begins inside of us. I have to know without any doubt, I know that Jesus is my savior before I can disciple anybody else. I have to have God's word in me before I can give God's word to someone else, before I can disciple someone else. I have to love Jesus. I have to love the Lord. I have to love him and more than anything else, family, possessions, or anything. We have to love each other. And then if we really want to be interested in being disciples, our church being a disciple-making church, that's impacting the lostness of our culture. You see, that's why we need to be disciples. Yes, it's about us, our lives being better, lives for Jesus. It's about us leading other people around us, our family members and all. That's why I ask you to indicate if you want to be disciple better so we can start working with you. But you see, it isn't so, so you can walk around and say, man, look what all I know. It's for you to take what you know and teach somebody else. For you to disciple somebody else. And see, after we do that, if we get everyone in day three church that thinks they're part of day three church, that attends day three church to be thoroughly disciplined as they need to be, guess what? We're going to have to start discipling people outside the church. And guess what? Eventually there's this snowball effect to where you see the lostness in our culture start to change. And, and we see all the frustration and, and all, the, uh, all the stuff in our culture today can start to change if we're discipling people the way we need to. A Christian disciple. I'm going to read you some things because I, I want to be sure I say them the way I wrote them down as I get ready to, to close. A Christian disciple is a follower of Jesus, but we need to know the cost of following Christ in our lives. Guys, I'm just being bluntly honest because Jesus was. If you want to be a disciple, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you putting him first. It's going to cost you giving away some things in your life that don't still need to be part of your life. It's going to cost generosity. It's going to cost a lot of things in your life. Don't tell me you're a disciple of Christ when you have no new desires for Christ. Stop and think about that. If you have no new desires for Christ today than what you had 10 years ago or five years ago or even a week ago. Maybe you're not being the growing disciple that Christ wants you to be if you have no new desires for Jesus. 
Don't tell me you're a disciple when you deliberately rebel against God's word and use Jesus Christ dying on the cross to justify your continuous lifestyle of sin. Oh, I'm under grace. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. I'm under grace. That's not a picture of a disciple of Christ. Don't tell me you're a disciple when you truly want to follow the world. When your goal and your intention in your life is to follow the world instead of following Jesus, don't try and tell me you're a disciple. You think you're saved because you go to church. You only pray when things go bad. Your life is not about Christ. It's about what God can do for you. Have you ever been there? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've been there before. And that's not being a disciple. It's not just because we go to church. It's not because we pray when things go bad. Being a disciple isn't just being interested in Jesus and God when we're thinking they can help us out in some way. And it's going to be difficult in our culture because, as I said earlier, when you start talking about obedience and applying God's word to your life, people who have misconstrued grace are going to start screaming, you're a legalist. Well, that's legalistic for you to say we're supposed to do what Jesus says. It's not legalistic. Legalistic is saying you do that in order to be saved. As a saved person doing what Jesus says, it's not legalism. It's discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Doing what he's called us to do. You can only be a saved person by putting your full faith in the finished work of Jesus. It's not based upon your performance or your goodness. You can't work your way into heaven. But when you really accept him as Savior, your life will change. The Bible says you become a new creature, a new creation. There will be some changes that will start to take place. You'll grow in obedience, not because it saves you, but because you're so thankful. You'll want to apply God's word, not in order that you can be saved. No, you are saved. See, Jesus was talking to those people on the Sermon on the Mount. They were considered the people of God. They were the Jews. He's telling them how to be, be better disciples. You'll want to obey God and apply God's word to your life simply because Jesus paid your sin debt on the cross. And you want to show him how much you love him and appreciate him. You might could boil it down and say this. Jesus Christ is everything or he's nothing. Jesus Christ is everything, or he is nothing. Paul wrote this to some church at Corinth. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed... You fail to meet the test. I hope you'll find out that we have not failed the test. I'm not trying to get anyone to doubt their salvation today, but I did start out talking about salvation for a reason. Because we cannot be a discipleship-making church, a disciple-making church. We can't practice discipleship in the ministry of our church like we should unless you know Christ as your Savior. You can't disciple somebody else if you don't know him. So I hope you'll reflect upon that and and ask yourself if you're really authentic. I hope you will ask yourself how much of God's word is in you. 
Do you have a thirst for God's word? Are you holding on to it like a lifeline? Because it needs to be in you before you can give it to somebody else. I hope you'll ask yourself if you are really loving Jesus like you ought to. Is he first place or is your stuff first place or your family first place or your hobbies first place? I hope you'll honestly ask yourself, are you applying God's word? Do you just hear it? Do you just cast it away after you hear it? Or are you applying God's word? That's what it is to be a disciple. <clears throat> I'd already finished the sermon this week, and I've started using a devotional that my wife Becky had used for, uh, I think, probably for a while now. Uh, and I got interested in trying to use it uh, after Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord. Uh, and it's entitled Hope for Each Day, a 365-day journaling devotional that Billy Graham wrote. <clears throat> Two days after I finished the sermon this week, here's the title that I sat down at breakfast to read. The Call to Discipleship. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he writes this devotional. A generation ago, Jim Elliott, how many of you know who Jim Elliott is? You've heard Jim Elliott before? Wow. Man, we better do a better job discipling people. You may know it when I tell you who he was. He's a missionary who went to college to become a missionary to go into Ecuador in the Acos uh, tribe there killed him, murdered him. And even after that happened, his wife went back and won the ones that murdered him to the Lord, that murdered her husband to the Lord. Jim Elliott went from Wheaton College to become a missionary to the Acas in Ecuador. Before he was killed, he wrote this. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The reason I felt led to read that today, because in all this discipleship stuff I'm talking about, I might be scaring you a little bit. You might be thinking, man, we start showing up at church and it's like, it's like the pastor now really expecting us to do this. He really expecting us to do things. He really expecting us to make disciples and to be a better disciple. See, it don't matter what I expect, it matters what God expects. And you might be thinking about, well, what am I going to have to give up to do that? Well, whatever you give up won't be as good as what you gain. This man lost his life. He gave his life away, but he still gave away what he couldn't keep, his life to gain what he couldn't lose. The Christian faith brings its own blood, sweat, and tears to those who would follow Jesus Christ. Christ calls us to discipleship. When we come to him, he takes away one set of burdens, the burden of sin, the burden of guilt, the burden of separation from God, the burden of hopelessness. But he also calls us to follow him, to renounce our selfish desires and seek his will above all else. He calls us to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So are we simply exchanging one burden from another? Because if you've got that mindset, you see, that's going to be wrong. You're not, you're not giving up a burden just to take another burden. You're not just giving up the burden of sin for the burden of obedience. No, Billy Graham writes, it is no burden to follow Christ. Instead, we become the bearers of joy. You see how the mindset, the way we look at it, changes the way it feels? Because now we're yoked to the very Son of God. Nor is it too heavy to bear, for Christ bears it with us. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then Billy Graham ended this little devotional with this statement. With whom are you yoked? The world or Christ? 
Because the way you answer that will greatly let you know where you are in your commitment, in your stage of trying to be a disciple. Are you more yoked to the world than you're yoked to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the amazing salvation you've provided for us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone that's in this room this morning that's unsure about their salvation, that you give them clarity this morning to where they can know. Father, if there's anyone here that has never trusted you as Savior, all the stuff I've talked about being a disciple and discipling others, they don't have a foundation for even beginning that until they first trust in Jesus. The Father, search our hearts right now and help us all to be sure and confident of our, of our salvation. And Father, I pray for all of us who are authentic believers. I pray you give us more of a thirst for your word, more of a hunger for your word. Father, help us to, to drink from your word like a living fountain. Help us to put your word in our lives so we can share it with others. Make us better disciples so we can disciple others. Help us to hold on to the lifeline of of your truth that takes us out of the prisons of guilt. And help us to help other people leave the the, the prison of their guilt that they are in by, by teaching them the truth and the truth setting them free. God, help us to love you. Help us to evaluate right now as believers whether we're loving you like we should, whether Jesus is first or he's second or third or or, or somewhere down the line. Father, forgive us and and help us who know Christ to be sure that he's first, that we love him more than, than family or our own lives or our possessions. Father, help us to love each other better so the lost world can see that we belong to you. But Father, especially as believers, help us to apply your word to our lives. God, forgive us when we just hear it and we don't apply it. Help us to be doers of your word and not deceive ourselves. Help us to apply what you tell us so we can have a firm foundation to build our lives and our eternity upon. Forgive us when we act like the man that built his house on the sand and we only hear your word and we never use it, we never apply it. God, forgive us for the weakened state of Christianity in America. Help us to understand you call us to something much higher and something much better. You call us to commitment. You call us to follow you. You call us to discipleship. You call us to make disciples of others. Father, help us make commitments to do that today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.